Our sermon this afternoon is from Pastor Steve Andrews. It is entitled, For By Our Words. Steve. In 1962, I, th I believe I'm coming over pretty, uh, pretty good. <laughs> there was a movie that was produced. For us older people, we remember this one. For you younger people, you may have to watch the newer version. There were two actresses who did a fantastic and wonderful job. One of them was named Patty Duke, and the other one was named Ann Bancroft. The movie's title was The Miracle Worker. And I'll tell you what, I was only six. I was only 14 years old, and Patty Duke was 16, by the way. Um, a heartthrob, if you want to call it that. But I have never forgot some of the scenes in that movie. Because it was such a powerful movie about a woman who went on to, to do some very wonderful things in her later life with some very, very difficult um, problems that she had. The movie was about Helen Keller, of course, and her mentor, her teacher, her helper, in fact, the one that uh, stayed with her for a lot of her life, Annie Sullivan. And in the, for those of you that don't know, uh, Helen actually was able to hear and to see when she was younger. And she, at, oh, I, I can't remember exactly what age. I don't know all of the details. But at a, a little younger age, she actually had a virus. And she lost her hearing and her sight, both. And she could, she could um, you know, yell and scream and, and um, talk, sort of. But she lost the ability to see or to hear. And so her whole world went into darkness. One of the scenes that was in the movie that was so interesting was um, when they had acquired Annie because her parents were about ready to put her in an institution and so they went around trying to find some help for her and of course then they finally this uh, um, one hospital or one doctor recommended Annie Sullivan well they were sitting at a their their dinner table and Annie Sullivan was there and, Pat, and um, Helen Keller Patty Duke was just running around the table, grabbing things off the table and eating. Annie Sullivan pushed her away, and she got mad. And she, got to, she was slapping and, and, and uh, just being uh, really, really um, just violent. And, of course, uh, as she was, Annie Sullivan grabbed a hold of her. And you can imagine Patty Duke and, and Anne Bancroft fighting, literally, in that movie. Well, Annie Sullivan finally decided that this wasn't going to work out to be with her parents because um, Helen would go and find her mother and grab a hold of her and, and, and just use her as a, as a way of, of hiding from, from this 
to being held back from doing what she was wanting to do, which was just anything. <laughs> so they decided to go to the summer house, which they had. And of course, Helen Keller fought and fought and fought, even though Annie Sullivan was teaching her a technique. And she kept teaching her and kept teaching her this technique. And the most dramatic part of this movie It's kind of interesting because it was so dramatic. It's almost hard to talk about because she's she's outside and she's pumping water off of this manual pump, and it's going on to Helen Keller's hand, and Annie Sullivan keeps pumping this water and using the the words W A T E R, water. And what happens? She does it several times. And all of a sudden, Helen Keller recognizes water, the B-T-E-R. Her whole world opened up. Her whole world opened up. She was no longer in the darkness. Though that words came and opened her life up. Of course, it was a struggle, but you, you watch that movie and she's going from one thing to another and all of those words all of a sudden mean, mean something. All of those words that, she, that Annie had been putting on her hand now meant something. Words are so important for us. God's gift I was thinking about this this morning. God's gift to mankind is words, language. It opens the door for us to understand so much. It opens the door for us to be able to communicate with one another. If you remember in the beginning, <laughs> the evolutionists wanted to say that we came... Uh, we, uh, we just grunted until we finally figured out how to speak. But we know, we understand, the Bible tells us that God gave that gift to his first creation. He gave the gift of speech and of words because he created the mouth and the tongue and the ability to speak. And so with that, he also gave the ability to understand and to, to talk and to speak and to use words. Remember, almost immediately, Adam was able to, to, to go out and to name the, the animals. God said, hey, go, go name all the animals. How in the world would he know that? He wasn't a baby. He was a grown adult man. And he was able to, adult, to, to go out and name all of those animals. And God was able to con converse with him and give him a commandment. And he understood that commandment because God gave him that gift, that special gift of understanding words and understanding the meaning of those words. I have a book, and of course, uh, also Eve. We often wonder around the world, uh, she got to talking to a serpent, but that's neither here nor there. 
<laughs> it is important to understand, though, that she also had the ability to speak and the intelligence to be able to, to reason and to, to understand certain things. God gave those gifts to our first parents. It was a blessing that God has given down through the ages. And of course, we understand that also because of the Tower of Babel, God had to give languages. He had to, he had to uh, <laughs> they, were going to, they were going to create today's society long before God ever wanted them to do that. So he gave them languages and they spread all over the world because that's what he had in, in mind in the first place. And so God's gift was language and the words, and they are beautiful. But sometimes words hurt, and sometimes words heal. Today I'm, I'm going to, uh, to share with you a book that I, um, I found. Uh, we're going to have scriptures, but I, I am I'm very impressed with Hal Urban's book called Positive Words, Powerful Results, Simple Ways to Honor, Affirm, and Celebrate Life. He has a... Um, an unknown author, and it's called The Power of Words. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word might light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. And a loving word may heal and bless. How profound. And I'll come back to this a little later. Because the Bible is filled with words. <laughs> Boy, isn't that an overstatement. It is all words. But within it, within those words, um, there is a confirmation that our words can heal or hurt. Isn't there? All the way through the Bible, there are understanding that words can heal or hurt through example, through teaching, through different ways that the Bible has of presenting it. And I want you to, today, we're going to look at a few of those things, and of course, then I'll go back to the book. And um, if you haven't noticed, I think this weather has, has really gotten to my throat. So I appreciate the water, and I hope I can get through this. Um, with all the wind from the south and through the north, it seems like I'm getting all the dust and dirt and stuff that I, from both directions, and, uh, and I apologize, but I want to I really bring this message today. So let's go and let's look and see what Jesus has to say. Because <laughs> the words are so powerful of his messages to us. And of course we can go to Matthew, the fifth chapter, you can, you can pick any place and, and really be um, enlightened by Jesus' words and his understanding of, of our own nature. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, and beginning in verse 21, yeah, right there, 21 and 22 is the only two I've got. You have heard that it's been said by then of old, you shall not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay. Of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that is uh, empty or senseless, 
shall be in danger of the council. And it seems like that Jesus is getting to the where it's just a minute thing. Something so minute in calling someone a fool. They're going to be in danger of hellfire. Why is that? Because, brethren, you've kindled a flame in your heart that can eventually turn into a roaring blaze in your heart. And you can begin to hate, and eventually it'll turn into that same attitude of, I want to kill that person. Even though it seems minute, that can, can build up. James gives us a, and I'm trying to give Curtis this book. I don't want to step on him very much. Uh, the book of James is also filled with this, but I, I have just one, one verse I want to read in James. And it's verse, uh, well, two, uh, three verses actually, 13 through 15. He says, let, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. He says, but every man is tempted when he, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Where does that start? Where does that start? It starts in our heart. And it starts with words and thoughts in our heart, doesn't it? He says, then, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. That's the end result of that kind of thinking. You start out being tempted and lusting and desiring and you end up sinning and if it's not repented of just like Jesus said we end up in the lake of fire because we have not purged that out of our heart it dwells in there and it grows in there and it becomes a flame in there and it's deadly Jesus was always very cognizant of what the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees around him were saying. Let's go back to Matthew, the 12th chapter. And let's talk a little bit about what he said here. Beginning in Matthew 12 and verse 22. Then was brought to him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spoke and saw. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about that as, uh, um, you know, even though Helen Keller was not totally healed, the darkness was partially taken away because now the words could enter and it could open her mind. In this particular case, Jesus completely healed him, took away this blindness and this dumbness. Well, the people never considered the miracles that Jesus did as very significant, especially the Pharisees. And all the people were amazed 
Is that not the son of David? But the Pharisees heard it, and they said, you know, see, they were amazed, and is this not the son of David? And then the Pharisees heard it. They said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Devil, casting out, making this one whole. It's interesting, though, they were kind of all in the corner. They're whispering. Jesus says, he knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Just healed a man and just told him that the kingdom of God had just come to them through his presence. He was there. His presence was there. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Wherefore I say to you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven to men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven to men. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, and neither in the world to come. That's pretty serious, brethren. That's the only unpardonable sin, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. To turn your back on the miracle of the God's Holy Spirit that would dwell within us. He says, either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and the fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. <laughs> so we have to be fruit aware. <laughs> I've always said that. We've got to be fruit aware. <clears throat> In every way, you need to understand the fruit of other people's intentions. And I apologize. He goes on to say, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? And here is the crux of the matter. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It starts with inside of us and comes out of us, doesn't it? A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure is uh, evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. It means that especially those of us who have God's Holy Spirit, who follow Jesus Christ, we need to be careful of what we say and how we say it. 
our words need to reflect the life that we've been given, which is in Jesus Christ. And especially Jesus says here in verse 37, For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. You shall be condemned or judged. You know, you've got to go before the great judge, and you've got to explain your words, because God has given that to us as a gift. It's a gift. It's a, it's a wonderful gift that's given to us. And shouldn't it be a purity of gift? A purity of outgoing, of outpouring from the heart? Trying to give words that are encouraging, that heal, that strengthen? The Proverbs are filled with understanding about words, aren't they? It's, it's like God gave Solomon and a blessing of being able to understand different things and even forcing him to write down profound information that we would not receive without the Proverbs. Here it is in Proverbs, the first chapter, and beginning in verse 20. Wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets. I think sometimes... This is one of the things that's missing in our, in our whole world, our whole society. It's just plain wisdom, understanding, wisdom. She cries in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gate. In the city she utters her words, saying, How long, you simple or naive, I think that word really could mean naive ones, will you love being naive, or sim, uh, love simplicity as it is in the King James, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. I mean, they would rather just blurt out rather than being very careful what they said, using knowledge before they say something. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make known my words to you. Of course, this is God talking in the personification of wisdom, but understanding that he would pour out his spirit so that our words would be cleaner and purer and righteous and good. Because I've called you, I have called, and you refused. I've stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But, you've said it, uh, but you have said at nothing all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I want to make sure where I want to go. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I'll not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. We see in our own society how that, they, that we prefer uh, evolution to the truth of the Word of God, to the truth of God's creation. They hate the knowledge that we were created. They probably don't even understand where speech comes from. Oh, you just a bunch of dumb rocks out there finally figured out how to speak. 
when we know that God blessed us because of our Creator giving us the ability to speak and then putting it with inside of us. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens to me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. In the second chapter, beginning of verse 1, My son, who received my words and hide my commandment with you. I love the way that this is written because it's, it's a family thing. My son, my daughters, those of you that are out there, so that you incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. Yea, if you seek after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure. Now, certain words are, are almost a, a, a pure joy. Sometimes when, when I read God's word, there's, there's like a, a, a joy in there because of what he says for us and the kingdom that he promises in the, for, for us. He said in verse 5, Then shall you understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. That's you and I, brethren. God, have God's spirit. We are the righteous. We are his saints. He lays up sound knowledge for the righteous. He is a buckler. He is a shield to them that walk uprightly. He's the one that is holding the shield in front of us. He's our buckler, our shield. In Proverbs, the 18th chapter. beginning in verse uh, 8. The words of a tail-bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. He also, that is slothful in his work, is brother to him that is a great waster. The name of the Lord is strong, is a strong tower, and the righteous man, righteous runs into it, and is safe. The rich man's wealth is in a strong city and the high wall of his own conceit. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Wow, what wisdom that is. Isn't that amazing? The heart of the man, before destruction, the heart of the man is haughty, and before honor is humility. He that answers the matter before he hears it it is folly and a shame to him. I have a tendency to do that sometimes. I need to make sure that I listen, even though I can't hear very well sometimes. I need to listen better so that I don't answer before I hear and understand what's said. The spirit a man will sustain is infirmity, but a wounded spirit 
who can bear and where do I want to go the heart of the prudent, prudent gets knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge now so I have a little bit of time because it will take a little bit of time to read this I wanted to, to share with you and I don't know how long it will take but I wanted to share with you a couple of things in this book called Positive Words, Powerful Results by Hal Urban. Now, what I would like to say is that um, there are some YouTube uh, videos of Hal Urban teaching. Uh, he was a teacher for 36 years in high school. Um, Reggie can probably <laughs> commiserate with that. He's been teaching for a very long time also. And he, um, he has a lot of wisdom that he shares in this book. And the chapter that I, the, the, the one that I want to share with you today, words can hurt and offend. He was very reluctant to, to do this chapter. He didn't really want to do it. He said, he, when I set out to, to write this book, I, I was determined to keep it entirely upbeat and positive. But the further I got into out, um, outlining it, the more I realized that this chapter not only couldn't be avoided, but was necess absolutely necessary. If one of the goals in writing the book is to help us become more aware of the impact of our words, then we need to take a good look at the many th ways that we might say something that's hurtful or offensive. An increase in awareness can help keep us from damaging others as well as ourselves. Now this man is not biblical. I mean, he, I'm not, I don't, he does quote a few things. He uses Solomon's quotes in here. But for the most part, he just has logical wisdom that he imparts through his book. And it's, it's tremendous. An increase in awareness can help keep us from damaging others as well as ourselves. That's, that's pretty profound. He has, a, he has a little note here. Free speech is good. Offensive language isn't. <laughs> he says, before I discuss the ways our language can be offensive, I want to comment on something I've heard many times. This is a free country. I can say anything I want. Haven't you ever heard of free speech? <laughs> uh, I embellish that a little bit. I pardon me. The First Amendment to our Constitution is one of the most important documents ever written. Freedom of expression is, very, is the very bedrock of our domestic, uh, democratic society. And it's one of the main reasons we achieve greatness in our, as a country. While I strongly favor free speech and just as strongly oppose censorship, I also favor good taste, consideration for the feelings of others, and what used to be called common courtesy. It does seem like it has disappeared in a lot of ways. What kind of language drags you down? What are some of the things that you don't like to hear other people talk about? He says, this is a couple of the questions that I've asked people of all ages, literally hundreds of times in the past several years. I ask them in my classroom, in the workshops, in airplanes, and in casual conversation. I simply told people that I was conducting research for a book about the power of words. And they were more than willing to contribute. 
I explained that I was working on a section about the kinds of things we don't like to hear. Things that either hurt us, offend us, or drag us down. While the responses didn't surprise me, they did serve as a wake-up call in two ways. First, they reminded me just how many ways there are to poison the atmosphere with our words. Second was with, uh, with some embarrassment that I viewed the list, realizing that I was often guilty of using some of these methods. It helped me to make a conscious effort to eliminate as many of them as I could, and I hope it will do the same for you. And he calls them the dirty 30. Here they are, bragging, swearing, and other gross out language, gossip, angry words, lies, mean-spirited and hurtful words, judging others, playing poor me and self-pity game, making discouraging remarks, embarrassing and humiliating people, excessive fault-finding and criticism, complaining, moaning, whining, rude and inconsiderate language, teasing, manipulation. Of course, teasing has also caused a lot of kids today to end up committing suicide because it's called bullying. Trying to impress others with phony and insincere comments, ethnic and racial slurs, sexist comments, age-related put-downs. Don't anybody talk about my age today, please. <laughs> Being negative, always pointing out what's wrong. Threats, arguing, interrupting, not letting the other person finish. I do that with my wife a lot, and I think I better quit that. <laughs> always topping someone else's story. I got a better story. All right, I can... Being a know-it-all, false flattery, yelling, talking down to people, being condescending, exaggerating, blaming and accusing others. Now, in a home, and you start using a lot of those dirty 30s, and you start destroying the framework of your, of your very family, it can become very serious. The flagrant four. Over the years, I've asked my students and the people who attend my workshops, which of the dirty 30 are the most frequently heard, which seem to be tarnishing our culture the most? And they consistently choose these. Swearing and gross out language. And boy, is that becoming so. And, I've, and we have a little bit of, of that here, and I'm going to talk about it here a little bit. He's going to talk about it for, you, for us. Complaining, moaning, and whining. Mean-spirited and hurtful words. Rude and inconsiderate language. This next section is called Swearing and Gross Out Language. Now, he's actually got a section for each one of these four, but I, I just want to read this one section because it is a, a, a little uh, long. And, and the thoughts that he brings out are very consistent, very good, and, and it, it seems to just fit right into the society that we live in today. Unfortunately, it's very, very um, hard to read these words and not say, wow, this must be our society that we live in. A few years ago, I took my copy of Time magazine out of the mail and was somewhat dismayed, but not shocked, to see the lead story. On the cover was a drawing of a large mouth with, gun, with guns, knives, bombs, flames, and other deadly symbols coming out of it. Now, anybody ever get that Time magazine? 
Um, remember, I don't remember it. I don't know when how back, far back that went. Anyway, the cover had dirty words in large bold letters at the top, along with the subheading, America's foul mouth pop culture. Yep, that's true. On the inside, the story is called X-Rated, and it begins with these words. It's a four-letter world out there in rock and rap, and movies, and TV, comedy clubs, real life. Many love it, especially kids. Many others hate it. I don't get it. The story goes on to tell us what we already know. Foul words are a big part of our entertainment industry and consequently have become a part of our everyday language as well. We are what we we are what we are because of what goes into our minds. To give you an idea about just how much things have changed, can you put one, one more verse up there that I didn't read? Put Proverbs 25:11 up for me, Brian. I would appreciate it. This is the one I didn't read, but I wanted this to stay up there while I was reading through this. And the reason why I wanted to, to put it up there is because I wanted you to think about this. It's very interesting, and there's a lot of thought that you could, in, in different ways. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. So I want that to stay up there while I'm reading through the rest of this. Think about words that are fitly spoken in the society that we live in today, which not very fitly spoken. He said, um, to give you an idea uh, about, uh, about just how much things have changed, let me share a story from my many years in the high school classroom. He said, during the first 20 years I taught, foul language was never a problem. The student slipped and let out with an obscenity. I would ask, girls didn't swear in those days, <laughs> a simple question. Do you talk like that in front of your parents? The answer was always no. Since the California Education Code says the teacher is in loco parentis, and that might be something that uh, Matt's kids probably catch on. I think that's Latin. Uh, that's Latin for in place of parents. I simply requested that there be no swearing in front of me, either. My students never had a problem with that. It's fine. Uh, but sometime during the 1980s, that, became, that began to change. The answer was yes when I asked students, both the boys and the girls, if they spoke that way in front of their parents. They often said, uh, they often added, and they talked that way in front of me, too. So where did it start, brethren? Where does it start? It starts in the home, doesn't it? That's interesting. Very interesting. This meant that I had to drop my old reliable question and get a new one. I did, and it worked. Right up through my last year of teaching in 2001. And the new question was, are there any places you go in which you don't swear? They all had some of those places, so the answer was always yes. All I had to do was add, and now you have another one, my, my classroom. <laughs> I 
that solved the problem. Sounds very good to me. As both a father and a teacher, I always tried to be realistic and practical on the language issue. I was raising three young sons at home and spending all day with teenagers. And I wanted to help all of them deal with this new social problem. Since I'm neither a prude, a blue nose, nor a right-wing zealot, I didn't think preaching about the evils of bad words would accomplish anything. But teaching about decorum, civility, and courtesy would. Those are some of the things that are really beginning to miss in our society today. For any of us like Lawrence and myself and David and others that are older and Maxine and Lucille, we remember decorum. We remember those things. In fact, <laughs> I remember as a kid, you usually got bopped if you didn't remember those things. <laughs> so anyway, or spanked or whatever, um, there was usually a penalty if you weren't um, paying attention. So I asked them a series of questions that always provoke both thought and some excellent discussion. Would you think differently of me if I constantly used swear words? Uh, would it lower the standards and damage the atmosphere of my classroom? Do educated and cultured people talk this way? Do people in important positions of leadership use this kind of language? Unfortunately, probably true, but they, you know. Are there places in our society in which you don't want to hear swear words? Do you think some people might be offended when they hear these kind of words, or those kind of words? Are, are people who use foul language in public polite or, or rude? What do you reveal about yourself when you constantly swear? Now, I live in a society called the drilling rig, <laughs> which I can't get away from it, unfortunately. Although there are a few, because I don't swear, I've begun to, to realize that and have a modicum of it around me, which I probably have done a fairly good job of teaching them that that's not what I do. So they don't, they don't do it. But if I'm out there in the, in the group, boy, I mean, it's, it's there. It's always, it's constantly on their mind. They got it. What really helped them understand was their own answers to the last question. Here's what these teenagers said about people who constantly use foul language. They're angry. They're uneducated. Uh, that's, they, they work on drilling rigs. No. <laughs> no, we have some very educated people that work on drilling rigs. But, uh, they're rude and inconsiderate. I mean, remember, this is coming from these students. They, they realized. They, they, they thought about it. They're rude and they're inconsiderate. They have limited vocabularies. <laughs> this is, that was one of the things that I, when I was in school, and I sure wish I remember, I was awfully young when they said, I think I was in junior high school. And I had a teacher that, uh, that's, she had the same feeling about vulgarity. And, uh, and she had a, 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 a something very similar to this, but it was very unique, what she said, and I can't remember it, but it, it had to do with limited vocabularies. They aren't creative or imaginative. They're clueless. 
<laughs> oh, and this last one. The kids said, hey, they just got filthy minds. <laughs> That's true. Probably do. Even the kids who admitted to swearing a lot said this exercise got them to think about what they were saying. About themselves. A significant number of them said, I know I swear way too much. It has become, it's become a bad habit. A significant number of them also told me later that they were proud of the fact that they had changed their language patterns for the better. They hadn't stopped swearing completely, but they had cut it down significantly, especially in places where they might find, uh, they might offend someone else. And brethren, that's just one chapter, one very small part part of this book. It is full of this kind of information about our words, positive and negative. <laughs> he couldn't leave this all without having some funnies. Funnies are fun. And sometimes uh, Barnabas always has some funnies and I always enjoy Barnabas's funnies. Well, he's got some funnies in here and uh, I know uh, Rick always watches very carefully what he puts in the bulletin, but that always does never happen. That's not, that always not always happens in some of these other churches. So let's let's look at some of the funnies in some of these other churches. Church bulletins: Little mothers meeting this Wednesday night. All ladies interested in becoming little mothers should see the pastor in his study. <laughs> Boy, was that one a bad one! Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of some of the old ones. You've got to clarify. Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. <laughs> Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and re requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. <laughs> if I hear anybody wanting mine, <laughs> I don't know why. The, the rector will preach his farewell message after which the choir will sing Break forth into joy. <laughs> Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. And don't forget to bring your husbands. <laughs> I don't even know if I should read this one. <laughs> a bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. <laughs> as, the, as the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to the choir practice. <laughs> Smile at someone who is hard to love. Hey, that was a church bulletin. Smile at someone who is hard to love. Sign, sign outside a church. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Hey, there's a lot more in there. There's a lot more. 
One more quick message. Mark 16, 15. And by the way, yeah, Mark 16, 15. You can already read it. I know what it says too. But I'm going to turn to it anyway. Go you into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Brethren, we become sowers of the seed of good tidings, don't we? Our words just reach out. And I hope that if there's some that are listening today on, on uh, uh, our internet connection, that this will have affected you and, and it will be positive. We are to preach the good tidings to the rest of the world. I brought a book, and I think it's sitting over there on the, um, on the table. It's called, um, I probably got it wrong, but it's about a thousand languages. What has been going on for a very long time is a translation, especially of the New Testament, into the different languages. And I hope that you'll take a few minutes to look at those languages, the, the, the translations that are in there. Um, that's my book. Don't take it home with you. But I think that, and I'll leave it there for a couple of weeks so that everybody can, can look at it. Realize that God has been working in a lot of different people to move a lot of different things um, in, in needing them to, to help bring this word to the world, including translating God's word into, into many, many, many different languages. The word that comes out of God's truth is being spread all over the world. And there's a lot of people that hate that because they are not believers in this way. Um, and a lot of our, uh, those people that have read this word and believe now and maybe be suffering persecution. And it's important to understand that those words are so important to the world as they are unto us. Our words are the, um, what did I put here? Our words are to warn. When we, when we preach, when we teach, they're to warn, but also to bring hope. You know, if you can't, you can't bring some hope to the world, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no point. And, and the kingdom of God and his message of the hope is a tremendous message. It is the good tidings. It's the good news that's going out. It's, it's to bring hope. It's to bring excitement. I mean, people, people that first get into this work get so excited, don't they? They get excited about the message. They get excited about the truth. They get excited about forgiveness, about redemption, and all of the things that, that are in this book. About the positive things that will be in the heart of men by looking into the Word of God. 